Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. We jump back in the parables of Jesus. We've been going through one at a time. And then last week we took a break and, uh, and the reason why we took a break was because as we've been going through the parables of Jesus, what we have been seeing and what we've been noticing is that Jesus kind of gives us this back and forth, two types of people. There's the wheat, there's the tares, there's the sheep, there's the goats, there's the good soil, there's the bad soil. And he just keeps going back and forth with these things. And what I've seen, and, the, and, and once again, Jesus is not talking about atheists versus Christians. He's talking about two types of people that look very similar growing up next to each other. And in the end, the ones, the, the, the goats, the, the tares, these people that thought, Lord, Lord, did I not do? Lord, Lord, did I not do this? And Jesus said, I never knew you. And those are going to be cut off. And so as we've been going through this idea that there's going to be people amongst the church, amongst the people of God that look like Christians, but have yet to actually give their life to Christ, and they're the tares amongst the weeds, what I've noticed is there are a lot of people that I was talking to just in the past couple of weeks that have been struggling with their assurance. Like, well, I don't know if I'm a weed. I don't know if I'm a tear. I don't know what's going on. And, and the last thing that I or God wants any of his children to ever do is to walk in fear or lack of assurance. He wants his children to know that he loves them. So last week I took a break, went through 1 John, and we talked about how can we have assurance, that God wants us to have assurance of our salvation and walking in that. And so now we're going to jump back into this dualism, kind of like sheep goat. We're going to jump back into the parables of Jesus. But this morning, we're kind of piggybacking on what Jesus just, what, what we read last week and what Jesus has been saying. But Jesus is going to show us now the fruit. How can you tell the difference between the wheat and the tares? And he's going to talk about it's the fruit that comes out in their lives. And that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 this morning. And in Mark chapter 7, before we jump in, the, the, I want to say this. I want to kind of talk about this real quick because the, the biggest lie that Satan has spit in our world and has many people believing is that people are intrinsically good, right? That's the biggest lie that, that Satan has the world believe. The world believes that people, this is why we believe that if we get the right person in the White House, we create the right laws, if we can get the right environment, that we create the right utopia world, then we can rise to that occasion. Why? Because we as people are intrinsically good. That's why anthropologists and sociologists, psych, psychiatrists, they all say mankind is not intrinsically evil. So the question now becomes, then what about the evil, Right? Nobody would say there's not bad things in the world, not wicked things in the world. So what, where does that come from? And so they would argue that that comes from external circumstances, environment, right? The environment caused you to do what you did. Left to yourself, you would not do that. You are a good person, but it's the environment and circumstances and other people that have caused you to do this. This is why when 
when in, in uh, Laos last year, two years, past two years, we've seen rioting and looting. And people have jumped up to their side and said, well, they've done what they've done because of injustice. This is why we saw on January 6th, people ran and stormed the white, the, the Capitol, and broke windows and stole. And what do we do? We jump to their aid. Oh, they're just doing that because of this, right? We blame the external circumstances, the environment on our actions where the Bible says, Romans 3 says, you are wicked in nature. Your nature is wicked. Jeremiah says it this way, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? So does this mean that circumstances have no part to play? Of course they do, right? Circumstances do have a part to play in our life. The difference is circumstances are not the cause of our sins. What circumstances become is the opportunity for the wickedness within you to manifest. Make sense? So when this morning, when somebody cuts you off, they cut you off, you flipping them off, they didn't cause you to react that way. They became an opportunity for your sins to manifest. Amen? Some of y'all are thinking, how do you know? Because um, <laughs> I'm watching. But it's, it's like this. Okay, I, I brought this. Okay, I brought an illustration. The sad thing was it was my sister that, that gave a weird look like he knew. He saw it. All right, so I brought in two cups, okay? So now from the outside, these two cups look the same, right? They're, they're solo cups. They're just red cups. Nothing's, nothing's pushed upon them. They look normal. They're natural. They're just sitting there. They're doing nothing, right? But now imagine I walk around. I'm clumsy, and I push this one over. Oh, M&M's. All right, they're good. Here, you want one? No, okay. There you go. The M&Ms, they're good. Okay, they're peanut M&Ms, so they're healthy. Okay, so now that made a mess, but we're not upset about it. It's M&Ms. This day I walk by it again, and I go, oh, clumsy me. Oh. Cat litter or cat food. <laughs> cat food ruined you. Here, I'm all eat it. Don't die, huh? Um. Now, salty. Um. Now the world would say, "Well, the reason why the cat litter ruined the M and M's is because of me. I'm the one who knocked it over. I'm the one who pushed it. It was just sitting there fine." But the Bible would say, "No, the reason why the cat litter." Ruined the M&M's was because there was a cat food, cat litter. The reason why cat food ruined the M&M's, the Bible would say, is because there was cat food in the cup. That's why it ruined the M&M's. If there was no cat food, there would be no ruining. This is why you could take two same people, two people, and put them through the same experiences, same situation, same environment, same thing happened to them. One pours out M&M's, one pours out cat food. One pours out wickedness, one pours out the fruits of the Spirit. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the external circumstances. <clears throat> These just become mere opportunities for what's within to manifest. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, this is not new. Like this idea that we kind of fall, find ourselves in modern culture where it's like all focused on the externals, control the externals, fix the circumstances, fix the environment. This is actually what was going on in Jesus' time 
when it came to this religious system, this Judaism, external hypocritical religion that they found. See, the Jews in this time when Jesus comes on the scene, they had all of these external uh, biblical rituals and cleanliness laws. If you wash your hands before you eat, you become pure. If you do this, you become pure. If you, if you uh, do certain things on the Sabbath, you become pure. So it's all of these cleanliness purifi- purification laws that Jesus comes on the scene. And it was all intended to say, if I do these things, then I could actually be seen as pure in the eyes of God. Because why? It's about my external circumstances. It's about my external and completely neglect the inside. And that's the whole system of the hypocritical Judaism that that Jesus enters into. And this is what he's addressing in Matthew chapter 7. So let's turn our Bibles there. This is what he's going to be saying about this whole topic. He says, so he calls them together, the multitudes themselves, and he says, hear me, everyone, and understand. He says, there is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. For the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Okay, so Jesus is, in this point of his ministry, he's about a year away from being put on the cross. His popularity is growing. The Pharisees are kind of coming everywhere Jesus goes. The Pharisees are showing up because they're trying to trap him. They're trying to abuse him. They're trying to rebuke him. And every time that they show up, Jesus gets in their face and he says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You're hypocrites. You, you guys are like, you're washing the outside of the cup. You're not worrying about the end. He addresses the Pharisees every time. So he's addressing them right before this para- parable. He addresses the Pharisees. Then he calls all the people together and he says, look, it is not what's on the externals that matter. It's not what goes inside of a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out. And his whole point is, you are not defiled by what you eat. You are not defiled by washing or unwashing your hands. You're not made pure by washing your hands. You're made pure by what is inside the heart, right? And the heart is what makes us Pure in Matthew's chapter fifteen. This is Jesus's uh, parable. This parable in Matthew, he says that what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man, it's what that proceeds out of the mouth that defiles. That's what Jesus says in Matthew fifteen. So Jesus's whole point, it's very easy point, is not about externals. It's about in. And when he says it's what's out of the mouth, he's not referring to just your speech. He's referring to your attitude. He's referring to your your internal this uh, your internal spiritual reality, your desires, your thoughts. All of these things are a part of your speech. So if your heart is wicked, out of your mouth will come wicked words, wicked actions. And unfortunately, this would have shocked many of the disciples, many of the people around listening. Why? Because they were so used to hearing, well, if you go to this bath and clean yourself, you're pure. If you wash your hands, you're pure. If you come into the synagogue, if you make this offering, you're pure. You're, you're, you're holy. You're righteous. You come into the church, and you sing songs, and you say Hail Marys, and you, you, you go into a booth and, 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 and repent to your priest. You are pure. That's what they were used to hearing. These externals was going to cleanse you, and Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 that's not the case. They would have been shocked by this, and I say unfortunately because this is not new to the New Testament. This has always been the heart of God. First Samuel, uh, God says this way. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. The man sees the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God has always been concerned with the heart, even from the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Bible do we ever see that people were found righteous by their rituals and by their cleansing. Now, we do see God commanding certain rituals, like, right, if you can't eat bacon, can't eat pork, 
right? If you touch a dead body, you have to go outside the camp. You're unclean. If you have leprosy, you're unclean. Go outside the camp. So there were things that God commanded, but we, the, the Jews missed the point here. Because the, the ceremonial and the ritual laws of the Old Testament were never meant to make you righteous. What they were always intended to do, as we read in Hebrews, was the Old Testament laws were to point us to Jesus. They were to be the shadow of the substance. They were to point us, the Israelites, to see, hey, I am impure. I need to become purified in order to be restored into the camp. And so I need to become purified. And God's really, really serious about this purification. So the Jews were to be reminded that, look, in order to be in the presence of God, I needed to have purity. This is all throughout the Old Testament, the most Mosaic law was all to point to Jesus fulfilling it. Circumcision was all about Jesus fulfilling it, right? Even the Israelites said God desires the circumcision of the heart. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that if you obey these laws in the Old Testament, if you sacrifice this goat, if you do this, if you do this, and you do it just as a ritual, as an external to cleanse the outside, nowhere in the Bible says you are going to be found holy and righteous and blameless if you take care of the outside, if you do these sacrifices. That's so foreign to the Old Testament, and yet the Jews love this. Why? Because it allowed them to cling to their sins and yet feel pure. The Jews loved Worrying about the externals, why? Because it allowed them to hold on to the sins that they loved and then come to church and do rituals and do, do things, sing songs, praise God, pray a prayer and feel righteous. They loved it. And yet Mark, he goes on and he says, when he had entered the house away from the crowds, his disciples asked him concerning this parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter the heart but the stomach and it's eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of the man is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, all evil, an evil eye, blaspheme, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So Jesus calls them together, and he says, it's not what comes out. Now, in Matthew's case, it says, when you eat something or something coming in, it says it goes into your stomach. And this is what Jesus' is whole point. It goes into your stomach, and that's why I can't defile, because it goes in your stomach, it's eliminated. But what comes into the heart, what's in the heart? The heart is obviously man's desires, man's affections, man's priorities, man's will, man's, uh, man's ambitions. That's the heart that Jesus is speaking of. So if you are doing external things, it's, not, it's just not going to enter into the heart. That's why religion doesn't work right? If you, all these religious acts don't work because they don't affect your heart. And so Jesus gives a list, and the list here is a list of all the things that will flow from a wicked heart. So let's go through this list real quick. He says the first on the list is fornication. Now, the word fornication is the word porneia, which is where we get the Greek word pornography, right? And this word is actually one of those catch-all phrases, 
It's one of those catch-all, all, all uh, sexual sins that we see in the Old Testament. So the list of all the sins in the Old Testament that God addresses, fornication, adultery, polygamy, rape, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, sexual immorality, pagan sexual activity, all of those different activities that this word encompasses, everything that God has said. Now, God says that these are a fruit. Sexual immorality is a fruit of a wicked heart. What does the world say? It's beautiful. It's good. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's natural, right? Right? And, and, that, and that makes sense, right? They say, well, homosexuality is beautiful. It's natural. Pornography is natural, right? You know, uh, bestiality, it's getting there. Uh, right now, pedophilia, people are saying it's beautiful. It's natural. And so that makes sense because the last 150 years, 100 years really in our school systems, we've been t- teaching our children, teaching, we've all raised, unless you're over 100 years old, we've all been raised to believe we're here by product and chance, time and matter and motion, right? We're a bag of protoplasm and you are no different than your dog. And if your dog humps everything that moves, then you should too, right? That's what they say. It's natural. Do what's natural. And yet the Bible says, the fruit that flows from a wicked. Now, here's the difference. The world would say you are doing what you're doing according to your nature, but what you're doing is not evil because you're not evil, right? So you're, you are not evil in nature. The Bible says you're doing what you're doing because of your nature, but it's because your, your nature is wicked. Christians, we don't fall into this. Listen, you sleeping with your girlfriend is not beautiful. It's not good. It's not, it's not healthy. There, this is going to shock some of y'all. But nowhere in the Bible, there's no verse that says, try the milk for you by the cow. It is not in the Bible. It is not beautiful or wonderful for pornography. Through watching pornography. That's not a beautiful, that's not a natural, that's not a, that's not a healthy thing. Nor, nor, this is another one, nor is it a, a bad addiction. See, Christians, we love to use the phrase, the word addiction. Why? Because it allows us to get an scapegoat to get a reason why that we get to indulge in our sins and yet still feel righteous because, well, I'm just addicted. No, no, the Bible says it's because your source, there's this wicked source and out from the source will flow wicked attitudes or actions or fruit. Homosexuality, we go down the list, bestiality, pedophilia, prostitution, none of it. It is all from a source. Jesus says theft, Right? theft. Now, this is, you know, pretty, pretty self-explanatory, right? But this, there's no little th- steal. There's no little uh, theft, right? It's, oh, I just stole a pin. Nobody would ever know. Oh, I just stole this. I just, nobody would ever know. Oh, I stole a mute. I, I, pay, I didn't pay for this song on, on the internet. I don't know if that's a little thing. But, oh, it's just a little theft. It's just a little. No, the Bible says it's from a wicked source. It's wicked. Murder. Now, this is where we go, okay, I ain't kill nobody. Now, the thing is, is we all know Jesus says murder, the source of murder is what? Hatred, right? The source of murder is hatred. And Jesus says murder and hatred are the same thing, right? Now, do we believe that? I mean, really, as Christians, Jesus says that murder and hatred, and yet we're like, okay, I believe that he said it, and I believe that he meant it, but there's, there's, a, he, there's like a caveat. Like, I'm just trying to show you the severity of hatred, but it's really not the same thing. We kind of have this weird mentality when it comes to murder and hatred. Why? Because we're looking at the way that God views it the same way that our judicial uh, system views it. That if you murder somebody, what happens to you? you? Go to prison, life, right? Maybe capital punishment. 
which, by the way, don't have time to go into this, but capital punishment is not murder. Why? Because murder is driven by a heart of hatred. Capital punishment is driven by a heart of justice, right? So we can have a whole conversation. But anyway, you get capital punishment or you get life in prison, right? Now, what happens if you hate somebody? Nothing. You have a bad day, right? You have a bad month. You ruin your own day. Nothing happens in the justice system. So we look at it. And we say, well, this has got to be more severe because our justice system punishes them more severely than, than hatred. So God must see the same thing. And that's missing the entire point. You see, what God does, he says he gives us the government to do what? To restrain evil, which means that the government's in charge of restraining your flesh, your actions. So when you murder the government's in charge of judging that. When you, when you hit somebody, the government's in charge of doing that. The government's in charge of dealing with the flesh. God is in charge of judging the heart. And what God is saying is that the same root that caused that person the murder that's being judged by the legal system is the same, is, is, is hatred, and I'm judging that. And that's why Jesus says, no, it's the same thing. So we've got to be careful. Hatred is a, from a wicked source. Then he goes on and he says, adulteries. Now, Adultery is, once again, sexual immorality, but this has more to do with being married and breaking the marriage covenant. Breaking the marriage covenant. This is more than just sleeping with another person outside of the marriage bed. This is also, like we said, pornography for men. This is lust in the heart over another person. This is also women flirting with another man at work, taking it too far, thinking about what it would be like to be with him because he's better looking than your husband. He's more romantic than your husband. It's taking it to that next step of flirtation. Adultery flows from a wicked heart, coveting, desiring what other people have to the point where you can't even rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You can't rejoice with other people because you want what they have. Wickedness. This is once again, it's kind of a catch-all phrase. It's just everything that violates the will of God. Then he goes on to motivating factors, motivating sins, deceit, lying. There is no white lie. There's no such thing as a white lie, a good lie. What about when you're, you know, I've, I've talked to you about this before. Like when Savannah asked me, how do I look in this? She's right here. This is the first time I get to talk to her when she's in the room. I, I tell her the truth. Now, I tell her not that she looks bad, but that thing looks bad, right? So there's a way of getting around it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I never say it that way. I usually say, this is not the flattering thing. And she, hey, don't, don't, don't get all, because she does it to me, right? We're just, and it's beautiful because when you have honesty in a marriage, it just, you, know, it just it, it, you trust each other, even in the little things. But lying is a fruit of wickedness. Sensuality, this is one that's interesting. This is just unbridled lust desiring, lusting, lusting, but it also carries with it in the Greek, this word carries it with it, causing other people to lust after you. That you're a sensual person, right? That your goal, when you put on what you put on, your goal, your entire goal is to get people to look at you. Apparently, when the women's liberation movement really just equates to less clothes, Right? And the whole goal is I put this on with the intention to show people what I'm working with so they lust after me, they desire me, they want me, they can look at me. And that's, that's, the Bible says is a sensuality. It's sensual that your desire is coming from a wicked heart. Your desire is to cause other people to lust after yourself. Slander. Right? Lying, lying about somebody, but also speaking about somebody else to, to defame another's character. That's why gossip is so deadly. When you're gossiping, 
You're gossiping usually with the intention to defame that person that you're gossiping about's character, about their reputation. It's deadly, and it's from a wicked heart. Pride, we talked about this. Don't need to talk about that, but pride is, is, is probably one of the most deadly sins, y'all. Because it, it, what it does is it takes the focus completely off God and puts it completely on you. It's about you. This is why Instagram and social media is so dangerous unless you, are ch- you check it constantly because it can become a tool that you use to just promote self over and over and over and over and over again, and it becomes about you. And then foolishness, once all a catch-all phrase, that you are foolish, you are senseless. The Bible says that foolishness is really just being, uh, just saying that there is no God or I'm not going to obey God, I'm not going to follow God, right? The Bible says that you are a fool, the one who says there is no God. You're a fool, the one who says I'm not submitting to his will. So it's just this whole attitude of I'm not going to submit to the will of God. I am, it's lawlessness. So he says, these are what will come out of a person and defile the man. Now, Jesus kind of reiterates here, he comes back to the point that it's not what comes out, it's not the traditions, it's not your rituals, it's not your worship, it's not anything you do, it's not the sacrifices that are going to defile or cleanse you, it's what comes out. Now, Satan is a liar, y'all, because the Bible, Satan will say to you, there, you are not wicked in nature, that it's because of externals, right? You messed up, you sinned, you're a wick, you, you do wicked things, why? Because other people. And like I said, the Bible teaches otherwise. See, the Bible teaches that, look, the reason why you sin is because you are a sinner at birth from the inherited sins of Adam. The Bible teaches that we need to be given a new nature. It teaches that we need to be given a new heart, that we need to be restored, that we need to become a new person. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why, that's why in Ezekiel, God promises, God prophesies, and he says this. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So Ezekiel says, look, you need a new nature, and it's not going to come with getting a new wife, It's not going to come with getting new kids. It's not going to come with getting a new president. It's not going to come with getting new laws. It's not going to come with finding a new church. It's not going to come with any of that. Nothing external. The only way that you're going to have a new nature, the only way that you're going to be changed is that you need to have an internal miracle, internal working by the miracle of the Holy Spirit according to the sovereign power of God for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ you become a new creation, a new person, one that now hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God. One that now actually has the law of God written on their hearts. One that actually says, I want the word written on my heart so that I may not sin against you. One that used to be characterized by wickedness, but now characterized by actions that now are pleasing to God. So the person needs a new nature. That's what's wrong with the world. They need a new nature. Now, for those of us in this room, does this mean that when we are saved and we have this new nature, does this mean that we are no longer going to have the fruits of the flesh? We're no longer going to have wickedness coming out of our lives? Of course not, right? right? But here's the difference. Now, I want you guys to listen to this. The difference between who you were and who you now, Christians, I'm talking to you in this room, the difference between who you were and who you are now is that when you were a, an unbeliever, the wicked deeds flowed from you. 
They were a fruit of you. But now your, now your new nature, where lust used to be beautiful and pleasing to you, because why? It flowed from a rotting corpse. It flowed from death. It flowed from this wickedness. But now in your new person, your actions, this sin outside of you is now working contrary to your new nature. Does that make sense? That stuff is not you anymore. That's not flowing from you anymore. That is not who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a new person. And so when we have sin in our life, it's actually contrary, not fruit, but contrary to who we are. This is why Paul says it this way. Paul says, he says that the works, listen, he says the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, uh, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envies, and murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. So he says the works of the flesh, don't miss that, because then he compares that and contrasts that with the fruit of what? The Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. He says, the fruit of these, and against such thing, there is no law. Why is there no law against those things? Because this list, this new, na- new man, this is who you are. This is your source. This is your nature. This is the Spirit of God that cries, Abba, Father, within you. This is the law of God being placed upon your hearts, which means there is no external law because you're not having to follow an external law. You just have to walk according to your nature. There is no law for those who are walking according to their new nature because when you're walking according to your new nature, you're going to outpour love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's going to be your nature. That's what's going to flow out of you. There's no law for that because you don't need a law for that because that's who you are. That's who you are. Before you were saved, your fruit, your nature was sexual immorality. That's who you were. You were a debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. That was who you were. And now anytime you wanted to do righteous acts, anytime you wanted to obey God, it was not a fruit, it was a work. Because your nature was different. Your nature was wicked. Your nature was rebellious. That's not who you are. You were not the righteousness of God. You were not God's holiness. You were not obedient to God. You did not love God. You didn't have a spirit that cried out by Father. So anytime you wanted to obey God, it would have to be outside of you by works and obedience to the law. And why we say, like the Bible says, like the Old Testament, like the New Testament teaches, there's nobody saved by the law. But see, now that you are inside of Christ, now that you are inside of Christ, it's not so. Now you are a new creation whose spirit is the righteousness of God, whose spirit cries, Abba, Father. And so now we are going to naturally produce what the new man produces. Now, so the question is, is why do we still sin? If we are a new creation, why do we still sin? The answer is because your flesh wants it. Your flesh wants it. And we make, listen, we make a decision now. Do we live according to our nature? Or do we work outside of us to satisfy the flesh? Does that make sense? 
Do we just allow the nature of God that's in us, our new nature to flow, to live? Or do we now do works outside of us to actually indulge in the flesh? This is where Christians get upset. We're like, no, 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 I don't like that because I'm just human. I'm only human. I'm I'm not, I'm not strong. Like I sin because I'm just, man, this is one of the biggest excuses. I've always heard this. We're going to mess up. We're only human. Bull. Now, now, listen, we're going to mess up because, because we have yet to be purified in both because we shall talk about that in a second. But it's not, look, the Bible teaches that you are not, you don't sin because you're helpless. You don't sin because you're weak. The Bible teaches that you sin because you are choosing to do works contrary to who you are now. Now, we usually do this because the enemy's lying to us and tells us that the works of the flesh are going to be more rewarding and be more pleasing. But ultimately, it's a choice because the Bible says you have been given everything for life and godliness. That's yours now. That's why Peter says this way. He says, beloved, I beg you as soldiers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against your soul. I love, I love, I love this. Don't miss this, guys. Peter says, look, we're at a battle now. You're in a battle, and you need to you need to not indulge in the flesh. Because don't you feel this as Christians that when you sin, there you, it is not pleasing anymore. It has this negative bad taste anymore. This aftertaste where now you're just walking in this kind of just oh, what did I do? Right? It just breaks you up. It, 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 why? Because the Bible says that this sin is actually waging war against your soul, against who you are now. That every time you sin, every time you do works of sin, you're choosing to go to battle against yourself, your new creation, your new man. And the reason why so many Christians, the reason why so many Christians don't have peace and don't have joy and don't have life and don't have contentment and don't have this, this, these things that the Bible teaches is because we're constantly walking in a war with our own self. We're constantly living in this battle and waging war against our soul. Sin is not you anymore. And so when you do it, you're not going to enjoy it anymore. It's not you. That's not who you are. It's a work that you have to go outside of who you are to accomplish. So what do we do with it? The first thing we need to do is we need to acknowledge that you sin not because of external circumstances. This is big. I don't sin because my wife yells at me. I don't sin because my kids are, are, are going crazy and not listening to me. I don't sin because of the external circumstances and the environment. Right? I sin. Now, now, the, now the, world, the world sins because that's who they are, right? And external circumstances create, become an opportunity for that to manifest. But Christians, that's not who we are anymore. But so now external circumstances now become an opportunity for Satan to now speak into the desires of the flesh, right? So when, when, when your wife or when your husband is neglecting you, when he is neglecting you or he's yelling at you or screaming at you, now Satan's coming in and he's saying, man, he shouldn't be talking to you like that. You need to get that man at work, man. He's better looking. He'll treat you nice. He'll buy you flowers. He's more romantic. He's got a six pack. He doesn't look anything. Your husband is so much better than your husband, right? He's going to start speaking in to the desires of your flesh. Like, right? Like right now, you got kids going crazy, sickness going crazy. Everybody's at home dealing with these little brats, these little 
vipers and diapers, right? And, and all of a sudden, Satan comes in and he starts to speak into that and speak life into that and say, no, no, you, you, you deserve better. You need to get out of here. You know, or you need to lash out. These kids are disrespectful. They're not respecting who you are. You're the father. You're the head of the household. Start whipping people. Like, like enforce your, 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 your authority onto your children, right? Start speaking into, oh, oh, there's a pretty girl. She's pretty. Yeah, you want to look, don't you? You want to look, don't you? You want to look, don't you? He's going to speak right into your temptation of the flesh in those moments of weakness, in the moments of the environment, just as he did with Jesus. When did he start to tempt Jesus? After he was the most vulnerable physical state, right? 40 days of hunger. And the environment was conducive. The environment said Jesus was starving. He was hungry. Satan says, okay, now it's time to come in. And now it's time to speak into the desires of the flesh. Now here they, we don't blame Satan. Right? We're not going to be those, oh, the devil made me do it. Right? We're not doing that, okay? Because once again, Paul says that God is never going to give tempt, allow you to be tempted. Allow, let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. And here's the thing. So there's no temptation that's going to come upon you that you cannot overcome. Once again, it's a choice to allow the temptations to lead to the works of the flesh. This is why James says it this way. Let no one, when he is tempted, say, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when the desires have conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, so it says, when Satan comes in, He's going to tempt in the vulnerable state. He's going to tempt your flesh, the desires of the flesh. The temptations of the enemy are going to be desirable, right? You're not going to tempt me with broccoli. It's rabbit food, right? Like, you're not going to do it. Like, you, you're going to tempt me with Reese's and burgers and pizza. Like, that's, that's the temptation. Satan's not coming and tempting you where you're not weak or where, you're not, where your flesh doesn't desire. He's going to come, and he's going to come hard at the things that you desire. And then when we sit there, as James says, we're tempted in our desires, then we entertain them. Think about it. What would it be like to satisfy this desire? Man, what would it be like? I just want to say that. Right? I just want to yell, oh, man, it would feel so good if I just said this to my wife or I said this to my husband. Or if, I, if I just, oh, man, we entertain it. We, do, we dwell upon it. We sit on it. And then eventually, when we allow that temptation to, to become desire, and then we allow the desire to fester, then he says it's going to breed what? Sin. It's going to manifest in sin. So the first thing that we need to do, or the second thing we need to do, is that we need to, right now, resolve in your hearts. Hear this. Resolve in your hearts that you truly want to walk according to the Spirit and not in the flesh that you want to bear the fruits of your new nature and not walk in the flesh. We need, to, we need to make that decision. And some of us are like, that's a pretty easy decision, but not really. Not really. A lot of, this is where a lot of Christians kind of, we, a lot of us, we, guess we struggle with this because do we really want to actually walk in the Spirit and not indulge our flesh? Don't we, many of us, maybe love our indulging the flesh? So when I'm actually headed to go sin and indulge the flesh, I don't really necessarily want to, to walk in this. I don't want God to, to, to convict me here. I don't want to pray here and stop God. Say, God, please just get rid of this. Let me get through this temptation. I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to. I'm not going to pray to God because God will mess up my sin. Right? 
God's going to stop me from enjoying it. He'll convict. I don't want to be convicted during while I'm sinning. I want to be convicted after. And this is what we do. So we live in this. I, I want to indulge my sin. And so I'm going to indulge my sin. And then I'm going to feel guilty. And I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to repent to God. And then I'm going to walk, walk again. And just, you know, it's been a couple of days of this penance period, kind of purgatory, where you're feeling better about your sins. Then you feel good. You and God are good. Then you go with sin again. And it's just never any cycle of sin, shame, and guilt, repentance, sin, shame, and guilt, repentance, sin, shame, and guilt, repentance. Your life is going, I want to indulge my sin. I don't necessarily want to walk in the fruits of the Spirit. It might be nice if those things come up a little bit. But I really just want to live in my sin with Jesus as my Savior. I want to indulge in the flesh. The first thing we have to do is we need to make a commitment. We have to to choose. Do I actually want to walk according to who I am now and feel the life and the fruit of what God has in store for you? Or do I actually just want to live this never-ending, perpetual cycle in life of sin, shame, guilt, sin, shame, guilt, lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of fruit, sin, shame, guilt. That's the life that I want to live. Now, I will say, if that's the life you do choose, and you really honestly are choosing that, then it could be that the proverb is true of you. Peter says that the proverb is, the dog will return to its vomit, and the pig, after washing it, will go back to the mud. Right? A dog is going to eat vomit. Why? It's a dog. It's what they do. Right? A pig, you can give a pig a bath, but when you let it go, it loves the mud. It's what it does. And so it could be that if you are loving this sin and wanting to go back into this sin and not really wanting to walk in who you truly are, it could be that who you truly are is this wickedness still. Your nature never changed. We gave you a bath in the bath of baptism, but you're still a pig, and we just sent off a pig. You know, just, I don't know what pigs make sense. You know, they go off as a pig. And as soon as you have an opportunity, as soon as other Christians aren't looking, you're going to go right back in the mud. Then we look at, okay, back in the mud. Oh, no, we look at, back into pornography. Oh, back into greed, back into lust, back into this, because I want to indulge in the flesh, because that's who I am. So if that's not who you are, and you say, no, I want to walk according to who I am. Then we need to make a decision just as Daniel. We need to make a decision right now that we will not defile ourselves by eating the king's meal, right? That's what Daniel said. So before you're tempted, before, you're, before temptation comes, before you leave here, somebody cuts you off, before you leave here and your kids drive you crazy, before it even comes, we make a choice, we make a decision, we purpose in our hearts, I will, I will walk according to my new nature. That is my desire, that is my goal. So that way when temptation does come, we're not making a choice there. When temptation does come, we're not making the choice, do I want to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit? Do I want to do the works of the, the flesh or do I want to do the works of the produce? The fr- I, I, I want to right now make the decision, purpose in my heart, it's over. I'm walking according to my new nature. So now when temptation comes, what do we do? We don't entertain it. We don't dwell upon it. We don't sit in it. And here's the thing, we sure as heck don't get close to it to see if we can resist. <laughs> How many of us do that? 
Right? Oh, I'm just going to drive to my girlfriend's house and, you know, I, I, I'm going to serve Jesus. Like, I'm, I have a heart to walk in the spirit, but I'm going to go to my girlfriend's house. Oh, nobody's home. I know. Uh, we're going to go and, and we're just going to cuddle. We're just going to cuddle and just Netflix and chill, you know, and, you know, and get, get, get a little comfy, you know. Oh, oh this, this couch is hurting my back. We're just going to lay on the bed. You're dumb. You're dumb. That's stupid. I'm not gonna lie. That's dumb. Oh, I just, you know what? I, I, I this person really makes me mad, and I'm just, I not, I don't want to gossip. I want to walk in the spirit, but I just want to get, I just want to go talk to one of my good friends about them, and I'm gonna talk about good things. I'm gonna try to speak good, kindly of them, but I just want to talk about it and hash it out in a good, positive way. That's dumb. Don't get close to the fire to say, well, I'm not, see how close I could get to before I could get burned. No, we, the Bible says flee from temptation. Don't try to sit and resist temptation and fight on it and dwell on it. It says get away from it. But the second thing we need to do is what Jesus did. What did Jesus use when he combated his temptation? The word. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because this is like my sermon every week is get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. But Jesus combats the temptations. When Satan is a liar, Satan is going to spit. Well, it is only natural for you to do this. Your wife's not pleasing you, so you need to go to this woman. Or, you're, you know, this person did do that. It's just for you to get angry at them. It's right for you to have hatred in your heart for them. It's right for you. When Satan's spitting this justification in your heart, that's when we combat it with the truth of the word of God and say, no, Satan, you're a liar. This is what the word says. But then finally, and this is where we're going to end, we pray. We pray. When temptation comes, if we have purposed in our hearts that we are going to walk in according to who we are now, and we have purposed in our hearts, that means when temptation comes, our first response is to pray. Why? Because the Bible says, you can't do nothing apart from me. It's not going to be in your strength. It's going to be in my strength. It's in my shield. This means that when you ever have a moment of weakness, like the Bible says, go down the list, like lust, sexual immorality. When you're being tempted, man, when you're being tempted to stare on the computer, right? You're being tempted. You just stop. You need to pray. That temptation comes in the flesh. And you're like, God, I, 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 no, I'm done. God, please give me a heart to love. God, give me a heart of, of self-control. Let me bear the fruit. Pour out the fruits of the Spirit in my life. Give me a heart of love for this person. Let me love my wife and let me love this person on the screen the way that you love them. Let me my heart break for them that they, whatever caused them to be part of this industry that is so corrupt and so wicked, whatever hurt that this young girl has experienced, God, give me a heart to love her. So I can't just sit and stare at her as an object, but I love her with a broken heart for her. Pour out the fruits of the Spirit in me, God. I don't want this. This is not the flesh. This is not me anymore. Pour out love, joy. Pour out kindness and pour out faithfulness and pour out self-control when your desire is to steal. The word is kolope, where we get the word klepto. What do we do? We stop and we pray. God, give me, give me a love for this company. Give me a love for the, the owners. And see, man, God, this is not mine. This is not right. Let me love them and let me have goodness pour out of me, not, not theft. Murder, murder, hatred. God, give me a heart of love. I, I want to do something bad. I, I, I can't. What's wanting to dwell up, Lord, give me a heart of peace and patience and gentleness with this person. As soon as temptation comes, coveting, God, let me love them so I can rejoice with them, with them when they rejoice. Deceit, God, let me speak the truth in love. Sensuality. 
sensuality. God, let me love my brethren so that I, in a way that I do not cause them to stumble. Let me dress the way I, that you, that you want me to. Let me love them so much that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to not cause my brother to stumble. I was thinking about it today. I was thinking, man, how awful would it be? At least for me, and I'm a, I'm a guy and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come in booty shorts, but, um, how awful would it be if every time you walked into a room and it was a room full of believers who wanted to walk according to the, the Spirit, they had to turn away. The people who actually wanted to live according to God could not look at you because you were dressed in such a way that caused them to have to stumble and be tempted and they have to look away. God, please give me a heart of love. Give me a heart to desire and love my brother in wickedness, deceit, pride. God, give me humility, anger. God, give me peace. Give me patience. Give me joy. You see, when you are faced, when the flesh is being tempted by Satan, we need to go back to the Father, go back to our knees, go back to Jesus, and we need to pray for the fruit of our nature to be outpouring in our lives. We need to pray that God shows up in this area. God puts this flesh, overshadows this flesh with the fruit of our spirit. Our nature starts to come out. This is why religion doesn't work. Because religion is only going to focus on the outside. This is what Jesus is talking about, relationship. You see, when you are tempted, what is it going to cause you to do? Pray. How often are we tempted every day? Uh, once an hour? Is that, is that conservative? Twice an hour? Okay. If you have kids, every second. What is this going to cause you to do? Every second that you're tempted. Pray. Get back to the Father. Oh, I'm tempted back to Jesus. Tempted back to Jesus. Tempted back to Jesus. So I could do religion. And I could worry about that. Give me some rules. Give me some regulations. Give me some rituals. I could clean my hands. I could stay away from uh, bacon. I could do these different. I could say my Hail Marys and I can do and kiss the, kiss the cross. I could go into a room and say a penance. I could do it all. I could do what you want me to do, but I can't. The, what re, religion cannot produce is a relationship. See, Jesus is saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to lean on me. And so every day for the person whose nature is been changed every day every second every minute you're going to be going back to the cross back to the cross back to jesus back to jesus back to jesus it's going to be a constant you see you can be in religion and religion of christianity and never once pray to jesus you could spend your whole week and the only time that you actually pray is before your meal or on sunday morning but if you're in relationship with Jesus and you are walking according to who you actually are in the spirit within you that cries, Abba, Father, you need him. Every second of every day of every hour, you need him. You can't do this without him. And the spirit that is changed understands that. The spirit that is a new nature understands that because every time you sin, it wages war against that new man. And we can't handle that. It leaves us. But here's the thing. I want to leave this, leave us with this. If you do sin, the Bible says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. I'm not, this is not a slam. Now, now that we have committed and we are surrendered to our new nature, you are going to walk out of this room and you're going to be awesome and, and, and perfect and sinless. 
And if you're not sinless, you, you're wicked, right? You're bearing the fruit of your wickedness. No, the Bible teaches that, look, there are times where you are going to mess up because the flesh, in the moments of those weakness of your flesh, Satan's going to come in and speak to the desires. And there's going to be moments of weakness, moments where you actually end up working contrary to your spirit, contrary to your nature. And in those moments, we don't walk in condemnation. We don't sit there in penance. We lay it on the feet of Jesus. We give it to him and we trust that we are forgiven. And then he says, now I'm cleansing you of all unrighteousness, so get back in the race, run the race, go forth, live out who you are in Christ now. Be the person that I've called you to be, a person who has all they need for life and godliness, who is more than a conqueror. Go. Go.